0: This morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, And as it has become our custom, we're going to have a moment of silent prayer. Uh, You think about our country, you think about the election process, and how important it is to vote, and to vote your preference as you see fit. So uh, I do have on the board, in the fellowship hall, a picture that uh, it's on the cover of Decision Magazine, and it shows the huge crowd that turned out for the prayer day. And we saw nothing about it in the news. And I was really astounded when I thought, goodness, they just hid that from us. I think I saw one one uh, <clears throat> picture of uh, Billy Graham's son walking down the toward the Washington Monument by himself. And I remember thinking, that poor guy, you know, nobody showed up for the prayer thing. Well, on the board, you will see there were literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people who showed up, and the news just kept it to themselves. Because they darn sure don't want anybody to be proud of America and uh, pray to the good Lord above. So anyway, I put it up there on the board so you understand that there is another view with reference to Christianity. So a lot of Christians came. Alright, now with that said, <clears throat> let's go to announcements. Uh, and then we'll have our silent prayer since we are few and far between today. to people traveling. We've got the back row back there where Bruce and Kelly went to a wedding. And uh then we got Wayne and Carolyn who went to a birthday party for Kayla. And uh I don't know where the Williamsons are, so I'll have to check my detective agency to see where did they go. But uh uh you come when you can and you don't when you don't, but we do have a large number of people on our listening to our podcast and we have a large number of people who are listening also on the internet. So we have, uh, we're getting them two different ways. So, uh, <clears throat> many of the churches have shut down and many of them are, are quite limited because of their facility. We could use a few more to spread out, you know, but, uh, we don't want anybody who doesn't want to be here. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's, uh, <clears throat> let me announce that we will have our prayer meeting. And it'll be at six thirty, and then at seven o'clock we'll have our Bible study, and we'll continue in the book of John. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Silent prayer, Tommy. You play for us, and we'll uh, pray for our country and pray for our services. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to come together and to study your Word, sing your praises, to give, uh, and then, of course, to uh, uh, announce. And we do have an announcement or two that we need to make. And uh, so we would certainly ask you to continue to guide us and direct us as we talk about giving, we talk about the Word itself. And we're going to have a little music, but... uh, all of this to be uh, praising your name. So again, continue to guide us. in Jesus name, I pray. Amen. All right, Emily is doing better by the excuse me, Leslie is doing better and Emily's doing all right. also she's continuing to work with her mom in their uh, photography business. They do primarily weddings and other special occasions. And, uh, of course, David is still at the Chevrolet house, Pete Moore Chevrolet. Give him a little plug. And uh, in addition, to, uh, we have uh, Wanda, who's doing all right. We've talked with her. She's staying primarily with uh, Susie, her sister, down in San Antonio. There's no longer, she said, of being miserable by yourself. So, <laughs> she and Susie always have a big time. They enjoy one another. And, uh, keep in mind, uh, uh see, there was one other prayer request. Of course, Alice is in the nursing home. Remember her. And, uh, I think that's just about it in terms of special prayer requests, other than, of course, traveling grace. Uh, for our folks now let's go to an aspect of worship called giving I've put on the board already our two scriptures you're well familiar with them but there may be people out there who are thinking about tithing and we want to make sure you know what the Bible has to say that uh, tithing is part of the law we're to get rid of the laws now, by that I mean we're to avoid the law because none of us can keep the law but replacing uh, the law, as far as the, as far as giving is concerned, is primarily Second Corinthians chapter eight and Second Corinthians chapter nine that describe New Testament giving. And I think these two verses pretty well summarize New Testament giving. Basically, if you want to give, you can give. We'll have a moment of silent prayer. You think about giving. You want to give. You gave. That's simple. But in the event you have something to give because God has blessed you, uh, don't give it unless you can do it cheerfully. And uh, that's basically what is taught today. So uh, keep that in mind as we have a moment of silent prayer. And Tommy, if you will, play for us while we go to the Lord and exercise our prerogatives as far as giving is concerned. Let us pray. Thank you for the privilege of <clears throat> being able to worship by means of giving. Now, I would ask that you would bless both the gift and the giver. For ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today for our music selection, Ken's going to go over there and punch a button, and Emily's going to sing for us. Uh, <clears throat> it's possible we may hear the. Uh, uh, God bless America, given the fact that we're going to have an election and we want to see what happens. But if we don't get God bless America, we'll get something prettier than that, if there is anything. So uh, number one should be God bless America. These all come off a CD, by the way, that uh, was made by David for uh, Emily and uh, we've got duets on there, and all manner of other things. So let's just see what we got. It's kind of like a box of chocolate. Well done, Kenneth. Emily used to sing uh, for the. uh, Trying to think what their name was, but uh, Blue Wahoos, the uh, Pensacola Blue Wahoos, which was a Double A uh, farm team of the Cincinnati Reds, and so she would sing either the national anthem or she'd sing "God Bless America." So uh, we get to share in that. Now, they have a new farm team, so I thought you needed to be kept abreast of what's going on up there, but the, the franchise changed over to another major league team, but uh, that's okay. I think they're keeping the name the Blue Wahoos, which is a, I guess it's a trash fish, but a game fish over there in Pensacola. Now that you know all that, our introduction is over. You're now relaxed, and I'm ready to go. Remember last week I taught in part 2 Timothy four, six through eight by way of the doctrine of crowns. And when the clock told eleven forty five, we were about to teach the etymology of the Greek word Stephanos. So before we begin that study, I want to give you opportunity to use first John one nine as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study Your Word. Guide us now and direct us. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, I want to review some of that learned last week, then begin new material <clears throat> on page 3. Actually, I think on the bottom of page 2. But uh, <clears throat> the essence of it will begin on page 3. But I do want you to know that uh, if you're out there in the computer land and you can go to westbankbiblechurch.com click on streaming audio services and you can hear the audio of this service and you can also hear the or you can see the written lesson uh, all of this uh, is there and then if you go to your phone you can go to if you have a podcast app, application or whatever they call it app uh, you can uh, hear the lesson through, through your phone so we're getting the word out and that's what our job should be all right now now we're ready for first Timothy chapter 4 6 through 8 again we'll do a bit of review and then we'll continue on in our doctrine of crowns so I'm going to read second Timothy 4 6 in the new international version it says for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure That's Paul speaking to Timothy. He's in the Mamertine prison in Rome. And as best we can tell from history, he will not get out of that prison alive. He will be given the opportunity to either get into a warm bath, if you will, because he's a Roman citizen. That was one of the prerogatives. Slit his uh, wrist and uh, bleed to death. Or he could elect to get his head chopped off. History tells us he elected to have his decapitation, to suffer decapitation. So he knows about it in a sense that he's suspecting this. He doesn't know for certain. Nero's the the uh, bad guy here. He's the Caesar. Uh, he doesn't like Christianity. You remember how he blamed the Christians when they had a big fire there in Rome. Uh, and he's generally a scoundrel. He roamed the city at night with them. Group of policemen looking for somebody to beat up. Uh, so he was a weird guy, and uh, the Praetorian Guard will finally take care of him. They will execute him and put Claudius on the on the throne. And if you want to read all about that, it's quite interesting. Uh, read uh, Pastor Merritt's study books, or go to Pastor Merritt's study books and look at the doctrine, the Praetorian Guard. And uh, you'll read uh, about how they determined who the Caesar was going to be uh, after a time, uh, actually after Tiberius decided, I don't like this job, take this job and shove it, just like Paycheck used to sing, you know, Johnny Paycheck. And uh, he went off to the island of Capri, and he left a guy by Macro and burst in charge. And You can read all about that too, by the way, on an excellent book, uh, The Twelve Caesars or the Soldiers of the Caesars. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, or you can just use, get a shortcut and go to Pastor Mary's study books. I've done a lot of work for you. Both those books have been excellent books. Uh, and I uh, enjoyed reading it. Both of them. Alright, now let's see what we've got here with this verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. All right, now let's go ahead and uh, we'll do some review, and we'll pick up again with new material at the bottom of page 2. Doctrine of crowns. At the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema, Crowns will be awarded. The bema was a place where a king, or a judge, or a procurator might sit to adjudicate a matter, or even reward an outstanding athlete or military hero. And it is from the bema that the judge would issue punishments or rewards as the case uh, required. It was at the bema, which is B-E-M-A, with a the E is an Ada in the Greek, so we generally think and like to. Pronounce it A, Bema, rather than Bema, or however one would pronounce the epsilon as opposed to the Eta. Alright, so it was at the Bema during the Isthmus Games that a winning contestant received his special reward called a Stephanos. It is to this analogy the New Testament speaks when it describes church age believers appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. And the word right there translated judgment seat is Bema. And I look at it, uh, let's see where it's used there for Romans 14.10 and 2 Corinthians 5.10, and that's where it's translated judgment seat, both cases. So here we go, verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So you know this is being written, of course, in the book of Romans to Christians as one of the epistles to the church. And then in the same case, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat, our word of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Uh, Just very quickly, because some may just get, oh no, I'm going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All my sins are going to appear. That's not the case. So I quickly want to tell you, this is for believers. And it's only a means to determine how you're going to be rewarded for your divine good. And then also to let you know that your human good is going to be burned up. Because God does not want that awful stuff in heaven. In heaven, you know, all the good things that we do to try to impress everybody, like mom and daddy, the preacher, or or even God. No. Uh, So uh, keep that in mind. You can relax, in other words. Why do you not get your sins judged as a believer? Because Christ has already taken care of them, they've been judged on Him, you know, and that's why we can relax because we're going to appear before the Bama, all right. And if we take in the Word of God, we'll produce some divine good. That's the only way. That's the only way that you can produce divine good by taking in the Word of God. You can't gut it up and do it, you know, uh, like rededicating your life and now you're doing good things. You know. No, you can't do that. It comes from Bible doctrine in the soul. And you can find that proven to you if you go, of course, to the to the doctrine of the... The power of the Word of God. or You go from the several doctrines that we have about talking about the Word of God. So, the importance of the Word of God. So, let's go on. Let's go to 1.3. The word Bema appears several places in the New Testament. Jesus was brought before Pilate's Bema. Matthew 27.19. John 19.13. Herod Agrippa made Agrippa. Made his final speech from Abema, Acts 12, 21 through 24. The governor of Achaia judged Paul from Abema, Acts 18, 12 through 16. Paul was brought before Abema, the judgment seat of Festus on his way to Rome. The year was circa AD 58. He spent uh, three years in Caesarea, you remember, and that's Caesarea, Syria. Uh, 57, 58, and 59. Then he went over to Rome and spent 60, 61, and 62. That's all part of his first imprisonment. There were two. Now we're talking about the second imprisonment here. And we've all studied that. We've studied the book of Acts. And I've told you over and over again about it, so I know you know about it. All right, now let's go to uh, uh, point 2. Paul describes the events taking place at the Bama where crowns are awarded, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. And then the word for crown in the New Testament, as we noted, was Stephanos. The Stephanos in ancient Rome was a wreath, a vegetable wreath, given to athletes and military heroes who had distinguished themselves. And it's translated a crown, but uh, most historians believe it was made from celery leaf. Uh, celery leaves uh, and uh, sat down on one's head. But it was what they got for it that was the important thing. Now let's go and we'll see some more about that. All right, what did they get? Well, with it went a large monetary stipend, a parade honoring the recipient, a significant land grant, and a lifetime exemption from taxation for self and family. So that's how we know what the word means because we know in history... If you were a Medal of Honor winner, you went and got before the Bema. you received that reward. Or if you were uh, an outstanding athlete and you had gone to the Isthmus Games or the Corinthian Games, those were the two major games. Uh, and uh, Michael Grant, by the way, is the name of that guy that wrote those two books, and he tells us about those kinds of things. Uh, and uh, it's a uh, uh, great thing and if you think about it there's not much in the bible about heaven but we do have something about our judgment seat so uh, we'll we'll study that more because we're going to look everywhere stephanus is used in the greek all right now let's see you're right pastor teacher will be with you at the bama for it is his evaluation too philippians 4 1, 1 thessalonians 2 19 through 20 and of course uh, to see whether or not you did your job mr preacher did you study and teach? Did you study and teach? I've heard preachers say, you know, I went to seminary, you know, or I went to Bible school and then I went to seminary, and I guarantee you I studied all I'm going to study. And I think that's pitiful. That's wrong. You've got to study every day, because if you don't study every day, you're going to lose what you got. And we studied that on several charts. So uh and that's the same with you. When you shut it off, you lose a lot. So you may be naked as a jaybird at the Baby. In other words, you don't have any rewards at all. You can't. That's what the colonel used to say. Naked as a Jaybird, you come through, and you have all your all you've got is human good, and it's all burned up. And there's no place for them to pin a uh, <laughs> no place for them to pin a pin on you. You know that would show you get these rewards. You know, there's a, a. I don't know if they did it when Don was going through training school, but the Marine Corps, when you get your wings. They take the the men are so proud, you know, nothing like a proud Marine. But anyway, you take the wings off and they take the little deals that hold it in the back, you know, so you've got these two prongs that are sharp and they put it on and everybody that comes by to congratulate them hits them. So I was able to hit David, you know, (laughs) put those pins in them, you know, but uh, uh, Marines are kind of crazy, you know. Not kind of. Marines are crazy. But anyway, they're a different breed, and thank God for them. You betcha. Okay, here we go. Let's continue with continuing. All right, so the word uh, for, for uh, crown in the New Testament is Stephanos. Plural is Stephanoi, if it's a second declension noun. I know everybody knows about the Greek goes to this church. Uh, stephanos in ancient Rome was a wreath given to both athletes and military heroes who distinguished themselves. And we looked at the things that they got. Now let's look at 1 Thessalonians two nineteen and 20 as we're about to go with new material. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Huh? Alright, <clears throat> excuse me. Now we're ready for the etymology of Stephanos. We are now ready to study again that word. And we begin new material with point one, actually. So the word Stephanos appears variously in Scripture. For example, it is used to describe Jesus' crown of thorns, Matthew 27, 29. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right, right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Very sarcastic. Uh, and then we have it described as a corruptible crown. And every man that striveth for the mastery, that is to say, goes to the Olympics and and uh, uh, trains in order to produce. Uh, every man that does that is temperate in all things. Now, they... They do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible you know in the Olympics if you won them in boxing you, you got a uh, usually a trophy I know in the golden gloves in Waco uh, we were always proud to have a uh, jacket with the boxing glove on it you know but uh, it, I wouldn't recommend boxing to anybody you know there's too many precious things up here I've lost a few. But, uh, up here in the top of your head, it can get, you know, crushed. So, uh, and of course, there are many diseases related to football players and and boxers because they get, lose a lot of material. My mother used to tell me that all the time. She said, son, why are you going to box? Why are you going to box? Oh, mom, I love it. I love it. I love the training for it. I just enjoy it so much. And she said, don't you know every time you get a blow to your head that you lose some brain matter? And I said, oh, no. I said, you ought to see all those guys. When they first start, they're crazy or they wouldn't be a boxer. You know, it, uh, it's not It's the not fact that they got hit in the head while they were boxing. When they came, they were crazier they wouldn't be a boxer. And I guess she was thinking all the time, and so is my son. All right, now let's go on, let's go on. All right, to describe Paul's brothers in Christ, Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Second, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? All the time talking about Paul as a pastor teacher and he's going to glory in the product like I will glory in the product and those who... Have said unto me over a 50 year period or so, uh, 47 years, excuse me. All right, now let's go on. To describe in Paul's future crown of righteousness, uh, 2 Timothy 4 8. We just read that. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. All right, it's also used to describe the crown of life for those who are tested. And we're all tested from time to time to determine whether or not we can apply Bible doctrine in a, te- a test uh, situ- situation. All right, uh, James 1.12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. All right, Revelation 2.10 Same. Do not be afraid for what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. All right, now a footnote there. The church in Smyrna uh, represents the universal church that is from 100 to 300. You recall we've been over that. With the chart, if you go to the book of Revelation, the first chapter is an introduction. Then you have chapter 2 and chapter 3 that talks about the seven churches of Asia Minor. And uh, each one represents not only what a church, individual church that happened to be in a city like, for example, in this case, Smyrna, uh, which is what it's talking about in Revelation 2.10, uh, but also the church itself, the universal church, will go through uh, certain special problems, and they are described... For example, the church at Smyrna represents the universal church from 100 to 300. The first church mentioned is Ephesus, and that's from 32 to 100. Uh, And then, of course, Smyrna uh, is the one represented 210. And we've been over that before. In fact, if you go to the Internet and you go to our website, web page, first page, you'll see the uh, book of Revelation. You click on that, then we'll have, you'll have a long list of all the chapters, 22 chapters. And you can just click on a chapter that you want. Like you can go to you know, chapter 2 or chapter 3 and look at all these churches. And uh, on and on and on. Alright, it's used to describe the crown of glory when Christ returns. First Peter 5. By the way, the book of the Revelation is the only book in the Bible that you are promised a blessing if you study it. Isn't that interesting? If you study the book of the Revelation, you are promised a blessing. Only book in the Bible. Now in a general sense you could say, Well, but what about your doctrine of the doctrine and the importance of doctrine? Well, it's in there too, but uh very specific. All right, and we taught that here. One Wednesday night we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked. I taught the entire book. I've done that twice, actually. First time was took us a lot longer than the second time. So to describe the crown of glory when Christ returns, First Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd, who would that be? That's our Savior. Appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Lord. To describe the potential of losing a crown just before the rapture. And there's a church there called the Church of Philadelphia. And it does not cover a time period, but it covers a point in time uh, where... Uh, you, uh, uh, right before the rapture. In so other words, a point in time. And it's called the Church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia means brotherly love. They didn't have much brotherly love there recently. They tried to burn it down, Philadelphia. All right, let me read you that. I'm coming to you soon, the church at Philadelphia, the church just before the rapture. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. There's our word. All right, it's the use of the church resident in heaven, casting their crowns of gold before the throne of God. And Then uh, that's uh, Revelation four four. Surrounding the throne were twenty four elder, twenty four other thrones. Excuse me, and seated on them were twenty four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold in their heads. So if you go again to the book of Revelation, you look, you go to the fourth chapter, you click on it, you'll find a dissertation on what does that mean? Well, those are believers. That's what he's talking about. Those elders are believers. And there they are. Four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So again, it's giving every indication that the believers there, they know where the source of the works that they did which were got, that got rewarded. And so they don't want those crowns anymore. They want to throw them at the feet of Jesus. And that are believers that are raptured. So you'll do that one day. Because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be raptured. and You're going to be in heaven. You'll be one of those 24 elders. And you will be casting your crowns before the feet of Jesus. Because you'll be changed in the twinkling of the eye. You know, if you weren't changed, you'd be proud of that crown. You'd be saying, see what I want, see what I want. No, you'd be throwing them at the feet of Jesus because you'll be changed, you see, in a twinkling of an eye. All right, now let's go on. Revelation four ten and 11. The four and twenty elders fell down before them and sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. <coughs> Excuse me. Used to describe a crown of power given the Antichrist. Revelation 6, 2. We have a negative here. And I saw, and behold, a white horse And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer, signaling, of course, what he's going to have power to do. All right, and it's used to describe crowns given demon warriors. All right, uh, the locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they were something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was white like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And these are those creatures that come out of the abyss and they come out and they sting only unbelievers. Uh, that, of course, was brought out real well uh, in a book by Jerry Anderson and uh, Tim LaHaye uh, Left Behind is the name of the series. And I remember that always because they, they, it's a historical knowledge, uh, a historical novel about what happens as far as eschatology is concerned. And to describe that these demons that, uh, are active and they're stinging only unbelievers, uh, I remember they, they thought, well, let me find out how I can really tell this to the people in the book so they'll understand it. And they're talking about it. They're on an airline. uh, Believers and unbelievers together. And you you look out the window and out there on the wings were these creatures that that are just described here. And uh, they somehow creep around and they get inside the airplane. And they go up and down the streets stinging only, again, unbelievers Uh, Not believers, unbelievers. And, uh, and of course, it was a terrible sting. It's all described in the book of the Revelation. And uh, you can certainly find my study books that describe it well for you, I hope. And I know Jerry Jenkins and uh, Tim LaHaye did a much better job. I don't know what I said first, but Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye, the authors... Uh, well, it was a bestseller for a long period of time. Uh, everybody seemed to read it. You know, it was just uh, wherever you went, uh, people were reading that book. It certainly told you how to get saved too. By the way, all right, God works in mysterious serious ways, doesn't He? Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! All right, now it used to divide. Let's talk about Israel. It's divided into twelve tribes. Revelation twelve one, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman that could be. Translate. actually that can be translated both and taught both ways i've heard it taught both ways both of them seem to be a pretty good way it can be of mary or it could be of israel clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars the royalty of jesus just before he returns and of course uh, that's uh, a goodly way three and a half years before he returns but that's what happens in the middle of the tribulation. That's where Michael comes down there and fights with all the, not all the demons, but a lot of the demons. And he defeats, defeats them because Christ said, do it. You, know, you can do it. Alright, so and there appeared a great wonder in heaven a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. That's the twelve tribes of Israel. The royalty of Jesus just before He returns. In other words, it's actually in the middle of the tribulation so it's three and a half years before Christ returns. Alright, so uh, we also have in verse 14, chapter 14, on page 5 of our lesson plan, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And chapter 14 is where Christ is just about ready to come. And it describes Him getting ready to come. Then you have little intervening passages in 15. Then in 16 you see He's going to go down and he's going to use that sickle to get his get rid of unbelievers and to harvest his believers and then of course finally in verse 19 the actual event so it's very interesting and that's why you need an outline before you read the book of the Revelation you can't understand it without an outline. I do an outline in that book and I also do a uh, expanded translation of the entire thing. Uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful pleasure to do that. But uh, it's uh it was work. All right, but working for the Lord is good. Now let's go to point two. In addition to the crowns awarded for divine good, there are special crowns awarded to believers in the church age. For example, to describe a crown of righteousness. Notice 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. We've already read that, but I'll read it again. Nothing wrong with repetition. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me also, but to all who long for his appearing. All right, the crown of righteousness is mentioned only once in Scripture. Very interesting, where Paul speaks of his acquiring it because he anticipates his death at the hand of Nero and also for those who love his appearing. Colonel R.B. Theme says of this crown, a great Bible teacher formerly of the of Bible Church in Houston, it would seem to be available to those who have acquired enough doctrine to appreciate and anticipate the rapture and the blessed events following. All right, it's used to describe a crown of life, Revelation 2.10, we're going to chapter 2 now, we're going to talk about those churches again. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. That simply means a short time. It's an idiom. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. In other words, for those times where you're tested, something bad happens to you, uh, and you stick with the faith. And that's, of course, uh, important for all of us, because we're all going to be tested as the Scripture very clearly tells us. All right, the crown of life is available to all believers who not, do not reach maturity but are able to hold that level even amid significant pressures. All right, there are those who see this crown as available only to believers of the tribulation. I don't buy that. This, however, flies in the face of the fact that in every age, believers are deluged with pressure and testing from old Satan under the permissive will of God. You will not get out of this planet without getting tested. Neither will I. Neither will any believer. We'll all be tested. And from time to time it will come directly from the Lord. You know, just like Paul. Remember Paul said, I don't want this. I don't like this. Ah. You know, and God says, wait a minute. He asked him three times. Three times God said, you need this. And what did he give him? He gave him a demon to box his ears. In other words, if you take the term that's used there for what they were doing to Paul, it'd be like a boxer, you know, getting you on the ropes and you're trying to cover up and this demon is hitting you and it goes to the body, then it goes to the head, then to the body, then to the head, you know, and the uppercut, then coming over, you know, just hitting him, hitting him, hitting. It's a pugilistic word. And that's what God gave him. And uh, three times he asked, and God said, no, because be a, you're would be you a much, much better man because of this. And why? Because you've learned so much doctrine. You know, I told you the story about my brother who always said, you know, Jerry, I don't want a whole lot of doctrine. I just want a little bit to get a blessing. I don't want to get beat about the head and shoulders, you know, like Paul did, you know. Because he had so much doctrine. For three and a half years, greater part, of three years he went out and out there in the desert in, in, in Saudi Arabia and was tested uh, and not like the Lord was tested but he was tested how much doctrine can you stand <laughs> and of course God taught him and taught him and taught him and taught him all right let's go on all right we have the crown of life is available to all believers who not only reach maturity but are able to hold that level even amid significant pressures there are those who see this crown is available only to believers of the tribulation, and again, I don't believe that. We all get that. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. All right, now let's go to two point five. Its appropriateness for believers in all ages would seem to be strengthened. By the fact that James mentions the crown of life, see. That's called categorical study. You think you got it? You think, okay, I know what this is. It's only talking about the tribulation believers. No. Because James talks about it, see, the more you study. James says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to them who love him. Alright, now it's used to describe the, a crown of glory. The crown of glory is available only to the pastor-teacher who is faithful to the task of studying and teaching, studying and teaching, both when it's convenient and when it's not convenient, when you're sick and when you're not sick, when you're tired and when you're not tired. You know, you got to go. you got to do it, you know. Uh, it's kind of like Coach used to say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But uh, that was what the coaches always said, you know, but or it's like General Patton, you know, Blood and guts, and as they say, you know, uh, His blood and our guts. But the point is, uh, it's a training tool. All right, now let's go on. To describe the crown of glory available to the pastor teacher only. Let me read you First Peter 5, 2, 3, and 4 to document that. Be shepherds of God's flock, that's to the pastor teacher, that is under your care, serving as overseers, Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, we saw this verse earlier, that's Christ, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So that's to shepherds of God's flock, pastor, teachers. Alright, fitting in our, fittingly, excuse me, in our new nations we are seen in heaven casting our crowns at the feet of Christ. We've already read that verse, didn't we? But uh, it seemed appropriate at this particular point. I'm going to read it again. Revelation 4, 10 and 11. When the 24 elders, who are the 24 elders? That's you and me. That's believers in the church age who have gone to be with the Lord uh excuse me for 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who f- lives forever and ever they lay their crowns before the throne and say you are worthy our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being so now we're ready to close out the study of second timothy i think it's appropriate to review the doctrine of grace we should first, however, review the doctrine of dying grace. Okay, doctrine of dying grace before we go on. Alright, dying grace. Alright, this describes that time when we move from time to eternity in the greatest of all possible happiness. Our death is God's sovereign decision. His timing is absolutely perfect. Notice Psalm 68, 19, and 20. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is the God who saves from the sovereign Lord, comes deliverance from death. All right, there is, of course, uh, what we call the sin unto death. It is reserved for habitual reversionists. Uh, It's explained, by the way, in our doctrine of healing. But there is a sin unto death. That is to say, when you have someone who uh, has been under a pastor teacher and refused and refused and refused, and... uh, then begins to cause trouble in the church, and the Bible says that what needs to be done, he needs to be sent out, pushed out, so that God can exercise vengeance, testing on that person. And the only way out of it is for the pastor, teacher, and that person to get together and pray together. Uh, and that's. But anyway, I don't want to get into that one. That's a. That's a one that you can read about under our doctrine of healing. And I have taught that before, but it's been a long time. It's the one I don't like to teach. But it doesn't matter what I, what I like. You know, if it's there and we're there and I'm teaching the book of James, it's mainly in the book of James, uh, then uh, you teach it. All right, now let's go on. Part 4. Dying grace is only for the mature believer. Dying grace is only for the mature believer. In God's eyes, precious is the death of His saints, Notice Psalm thirty-three eighteen, reading through verse 22. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him and those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in You. And then that very famous verse, Psalm 116. Verse fifteen: Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. All right, dying grace is the golden bridge from time to eternity. That's a themism. When you die, you cross the golden bridge from time to eternity. All right, Hebrews eleven thirteen: These all died in faith. That's talking about believers, and primarily the uh, described in chapter eleven, uh, and they're mainly Old Testament characters, but it does include some New Testament. These all died in faith having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Talking primarily about Abraham and his descendants as they made their way to their promised land. Alright, now in summary, grace is God's genius for dealing with man in order to provide all God has determined in His divine decrees after having seen the beginning and the end, and all that transpired in the interim. Just think of our dispensation chart. There is nothing on that chart that's not going to happen. Our grace is all that God is free to do for mankind on the basis of the cross, without in any way compromising His character. It is God's plan for mankind. Now, there's certainly more than one definition of grace. For example, grace is all that God is free to do for you and for me on the basis of the cross, Without in any way compromising his integrity. So without Christ, there is no grace because he is the only object of faith capable of producing salvation and our justification. All right, now let's go to verse 9 through 22. It represents a conclusion. Uh, Verse 9: Do thy diligence to some shortly, in other words, come shortly unto men. And then we have a list of uh, people. And he wants to come see him. And here's the reasons why. Why? Because Demetrius, or Damas, as uh, we have it in the KJV and also the NIV, but it could be Demetrius, we're just not sure, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Now that one is very meaningful because, you know, we've studied chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 in the book of thessalonians and there was somebody teaching the post-tribulationism in other words that you are in the middle of the tribulation you're not going to be raptured you'll be raptured after the tribulation and i just wonder if demetrius didn't do that he left and he went to thessalonica so i have often wondered as i read this half of this verse was he talking about demetrius the one or was demetrius the one who taught those in Thessalonica to get be afraid? Be afraid! This is the virus or whatever it is. You know, this time it's the oh, Antichrist is here, and he tells these people, "Don't be stupid! I taught you this before. Where weren't you listening when I taught it to you? It's going to be the rapture first, you know. And if you think you're in the tribulations, some people may come to you and say that you're in the tribulation. Some people may bring a letter that I supposedly wrote and signed." Uh but don't believe it. And I taught you this, and you should know. Look at the temple. Where's the temple? You know, has it been rebuilt? Uh, and uh, let me ask you this. Where's the Antichrist? You see the Antichrist here? And is he performing miracles? And did you see him laid lay out after a terrible head wound and rise up? Well, if you didn't see that, stupid, you're not in the tribulation. Now, you're getting pressure, and you're getting tribulation, but I promised you that. That's just very common. So, uh, read... Second Thessalonians chapter 2, begin with verse 1, read all the way through verse 12 actually. And that's the greatest description. It's the only description in the New Testament in any amount of detail about eschatology. So it's most important. But anyway, let's go. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, that's Yugoslavia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. That's another interesting verse that we can categorically uh, talk about. This again, of course, is John Mark. And remember, John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey and they got to Well, they got all the way over to Asia, which is what's called Asia Minor, also by some. But anyway, they got out and he said, I gotta go home. What'd you say? I gotta go home. Oh, Mark, what's wrong with you? I wanna go home to mother. You see, his mother was a big leader in the church back in Jerusalem. And so he left. And he will be a source of controversy. Because on the second missionary journey, of course, he was also a nephew of Barnabas. Uh, uh, and, uh, they got ready to go, and and uh, Paul said, "I'm not taking Mark." Oh, yes, you are. We're going together on the second missionary journey. No, I'm not taking the little coward. You know that shot Mr. Howard and put Jesse James in his grave. Y'all all saw that song, right? Forget that song. That's not appropriate here. But the point being, uh, they argued. I mean, they got into a real contretemps, if you will, between the two of them. And finally, Congress said, "Well, I'm going back to Cy- I'm going to Cyprus. You can go wherever you want to, Paul. And I'm taking Mark with me." He said, "Great, because he ain't coming with me." So Paul took Silas, and they went. So they just chose to go. You, uh, disciples, can fight among themselves. And the thing you've got to do is stay out of it. You know, stay out of it. You're going to get burned. Uh, but uh, John Mark here, the, the, the point I'm making, I'll make it real quick because I know i only got one more minute. John Mark is brought back into the fold. See, we know that they had resolved their issues. Because look what he says, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Praise God. Alright, let's go... Uh, to the Lord in prayer with an invitation. I'd like to ask that your head be bowed and your eyes closed, or however you do it. Uh, there's more ways of doing it than one. But you do need to concentrate, please, and and uh, pray that the Word of God would have full effect, because I'm going to speak some words. And these words are going to be right out of the Word of God. And there may be somebody here who is without hope, without Christ, and without eternal life. So... Uh, Do that for me, please. Because the Scripture says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He came unto His own. Who was His own? Israel was His own. But His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. So there you are. There's our Savior. He wants you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What must I do to be saved then? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Again. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you just tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. I'm going to pause for just a moment. And give you an opportunity just to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try to jump through any psychological hoops. Don't try to promise God you're not going to do it anymore. You can't do that. Or raise your hand or walk an aisle. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the scripture says, you will be saved. Father, I am grateful for the privilege of being able to teach Your Word. Now, I would ask that You would... Well, I wish God the Holy Spirit to take what I have spoken and make it real in order that we might grow in Your grace and become more like our Lord and Savior. For it is in His name I pray. Amen.